as uh, Bilbo is running out the hobbit hole on his adventure, things get pretty intense pretty quickly, don't they? He hops in line with them. He forgot his handkerchief, right? And he's out in the wild. We hear stories about orcs and things, which he's never encountered. Uh, Peter Jackson has us bump into this whole concept that the necromancer who is Sauron is waking up to like sh- cover the whole world in shadow horrifying and then they bump into these trolls right I love the now we're starting like metaphor boom it's like Odysseus right you got the mermaids and the cyclops and Charybdis and Scylla and all these different things as they go trolls like right here in a sentence or two this is where for you, you can just, boom, grab some stuff and run with the metaphors. These trolls are massive. They're going to eat them. They're going to end the quest for them. But how do you fight them? How hard is it to fight them? Actually, all you need to do is shine what on them? Light. And then they turn to what? Stone. How hard was that? Uh, I bet everybody in the room right now, today, if we shine some light on this issue in your life, that's all we got to do. Just pull it out into the light, confess it, get it out in the open. It won't have power over you anymore. You can move forward on your journey, right? It's those things that we're trying to battle in the dark that no one knows about that are just so overwhelming. Let's get some light on that. Done. Kind of cool. Go Tolkien. It's awesome. All right. And the metaphor is richer than that, but I'm trying to get to a couple other ones here. Right? They end up in Rivendell which is fantastic. Uh, The metaphors are ripe in Rivendell with wise people who can counsel and advise us, people who have skills and talents that we don't possess. Even Gandalf can't read those moon rune things. Um, They end up uh, being equipped for the journey. It's a hard journey, all right? But here, I think this moment of the map, finding other people who have skills, we get to meet powerful people like Galadriel, right? who have been in this battle for a long time. Um, Wise people. They end up with the rock giants, right out of the book, fun little paragraph. They end up in the underworld now with that guy, the goblin king, and who are all these goblins, and this is his journey into darkness and the underworld and a subconscious realm, right? Um, And then we get to this moment right here where Bilbo falls down a crack right right there so here's Bilbo he landed on a pile of mushrooms how convenient here's an orc everybody see that so it's a goblin kind of nasty this is what oh here yeah this is Gollum this is Gollum now does Gollum is he an orc no so is he actually the enemy no. Well, he behaves like an enemy, but is he an orc or is he, you know, one of Sauron's little minions or whatever? He's not a goblin. Uh, those of you who like the details and stuff like this, do you notice that he has no whip scars on his back? He hasn't been captured and tortured by Sauron yet in the grander story. All right, so before I unpack this scene, let me give you a few things that I believe will be really helpful tools for many of you to connect the dots. We're going to connect English class and Bible class and philosophy class and all that stuff together right now to help you with your quest journey assignment, okay? There are a couple key tools that will help you 
make this metaphor connection, uh, I think, more powerful. But just to be really blunt, it's going to make it easier as well when you apply all of your literature stuff here. So there are these five tools that I have on the page for you. Symbols, metaphors and similes, overarching metaphor, paradoxes, the mythical elements of a story, and the biblical allusions. As you look at your story, those things from English class dropped right into this stuff really help with making the metaphor connections. Couple little five minutes of direct instruction and then we're going to use those tools in this scene as well. All right. Um, most of you know what a symbol is. What's a symbol? Come on, English class. Yeah, I love that. That's like the best definition, although we're not supposed to use the word thing, right? Because it's so vague. But actually, actually, something that represents something else is our best definition. It's great. Okay. So, most of you get symbols. You have since you're a kid. We understand symbolic language. Sophomore year is actually when your brain develops to understand abstract conceptual language. Okay, for sophomore. All right. Uh, what we're not often taught very directly, so I'm going to take the risk in the five minutes to be direct instruction, is in case you haven't caught this, in literature and myth, there are very distinct public symbols and there are private symbols, and the private symbols are real. It's not just your crazy literature teacher who's like digging in to find stuff that's not really there. Actually, it was someone like Tolkien, who is a Christian author, and writing a reversed myth off the true myth. The private symbols are very highly intentional, right? And sometimes an author does it without even realizing that they've done it. But the best authors, the best poets, like a Shakespeare and a, and a Dickens and an Austin and a Homer, are they writing all this symbolical symbol 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 symbolism? Symbolic. Are they writing all of the into the story? Symbology. They're putting them in there on purpose. There we go. They're putting those things in there on purpose. So ready? If I'm in a public school or in a public venue and I take a green marker and I write two lines on the board, that is a symbol. What can that right there, publicly, generally speaking, represent? Math, right? Addition, X, Y axis. If you're like got Google Maps out, what could that be? Grid. Yeah, a grid. Or like an intersection or north, south, east, west. East, west. Right? Yeah, if you're a hunter, target or crosshairs. So does this actually represent all those different types of things? So if we see it in a story, ooh, maybe they're doing math. You know, like, oh, it's the, it's the compass or whatever. The author can use that there. If we go to Ireland for a trip and we see this kicking around in Ireland, it might be math, it might be those other things, but what also can it be very intentionally in Ireland, especially with a green? Cross. Yeah, the Celtic cross, right? They often just make it this big with a circle around it, and it's all over the place, right? Well, what does the Celtic cross represent? <laughs> huh? Well, yeah, like the cross, like if you're wearing one around your neck, why? It represents what? Je 
that by the sacrifice for our sin is the salvation of humankind. Is that a powerful symbol? Yeah, but so when Tolkien writes about the crossroads in the story, am I allowed, are we allowed to go there? Yeah. Now, it may not be that big of a connection, but in a story like this, the crossroads... Ooh, wait. Cross... Ro- uh, it, eh, eh, eh? Okay, all right. Let's do another one. When my five-year-old makes that on a piece of paper, and when she's drawing an ocean, what is it? It's a fish, right? There you go. Nemo. Uh, put, a little, put a little fin on top. You get a shark, right? Okay, so when I'm driving around Wheaton, and I see this symbol on half the minivans, it's like, oh, that family must like fish. You know? Right? Like, is that true? Maybe. Maybe they like fish. I guess. Like, they all like fish. Actually, privately, what is this symbol? Anybody know? Yeah, there's lots of different interpretations. It's called the Ichthus, right? And and it's a it actually was a secret private symbol where when under persecution you would like draw half of it on the dirt or on the wall and someone else would draw the other half like, ooh, Christian, okay, I gotcha. And it's just a fish, so it's no big deal. It's like, like fishers of men and it's Christianity and all that stuff, right? Is that a real symbol? Yeah. Well, here's like how far we can go. Gollum, who's acting like the enemy, especially in this scene, he is, Tolkien actually writes it in the Hobbit text, prowling around in the dark. (laughs) That's like a direct quote from scripture. Scripture says our enemy prowls around in the dark looking for someone to devour, right? Well, what is Gollum actually doing in his little cave here? He is prowling around in the dark looking for what? Things to eat. He's looking for the ring later because he loses it, but he's looking for things to devour. Wait, can we go there? Yeah, actually, what's his favorite thing to eat? Fish. It could be grubs, it could be squirrels, it could be birds or chickens or anything. See, that's what we got to remember. An author like Tolkien is highly intentional with what he's doing. And so he's got a character who prowls around in the dark looking for something to devour, and what that character likes to eat is fish, and fish is a Christian symbol. <gasps> can we go that far? Well, come on, can we? Yeah. Now, is it there? If it's there, can someone like me or you, if you want to, take symbols that deep? Of course. Do you have to? Not at all. Enjoy the movie. But with an assignment like this, symbols can unlock a lot of different things. So ready? In your guidebook or on your note sheet or whatever you want to do. One, two, three, go. Private Christian symbols you can look for. Lion, lamb, good. What else? Sheep and goats, good. What else? Stone. Stone, good. Bread. Bread, wine. What? Dovey. Water. Fire. Huh? Fire. Fire. Huge symbol. Fire. Rainbows. Storms. Well, yes, good. Storms. Straight and narrow paths. Gates. How many gates do they go through? Trees. Palms, especially. You guys see what's going on? Like, we could keep going for a long time, couldn't we? There are hundreds of private Christian symbols that you can unpack from a story like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Here's one that often gets missed until it's pointed out very directly, but Ephesians 6, armor of God, right? So you got tons of armor in Narnia and Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So the armor thing is a big one. How about just even this one? 
sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Bilbo has a sword that glows when the enemy is around. Yeah, it's super cool. Someone make that on your Bible and you're good. <laughs> make a Bible that glows. All right. Uh, but like, but when you look at that now, Aragorn's sword is broken and needs to be reforged and put back in the hands of a king who is a really great leader. Re re replace the symbol. The king's Bible has been shattered and fractured and needs to be what? Put back together and put in the hands of a great leader to build the kingdom. That's super cool when we think about the sword and the Bible as a metaphor like that. Tracking? Okay, uh, I could keep going and going. I just wanted to get the gears spinning for you. Let's just do real quick metaphors. What's a metaphor? A dot, yeah. A scene or a scenario or a character. Yeah, without using like or as, which makes it, ready? Metaphor is a direct comparison. Simile is an indirect comparison using like or as. Brad Musso is as strong as an ox. That's indirect comparison. Pretty fitting. How about this? Brad Musso is an ox. It's just more direct, right? So there you go. Now, some of you have caught this already with your movies, someone's trained you, or you just picked up on it, but often you will find an extended metaphor, or what I call the overarching metaphor of a story or a scene, okay? You guys, sophomore year, Lord of the Flies, yes? I used to teach Lord of the Flies, super fun. The extended metaphor, the overarching metaphor of Lord of the Flies is so fun, and so there, once it clicks. We got these kids who crash in a plane, on an island, right? There's two groups of kids on this island, and some want to stay and fight, and some want to get rescued and go back to their true home, and some are afraid of a beast. And now I'll say it one more time. Kids on an island, on an island, and there's two types of people, some who want to stay and fight, and some who want their father to come and save them and rescue them and take them to their true home and they're afraid of a beast and did anybody get the overarching metaphor yet? Yeah, click. And uh, thank you, Golden. Right, like most of you can do that with the movies that you're watching. The overarching extended metaphor of Odysseus, Odysseus goes off to war to fight battles and then he's got this long pilgrimage to get to his true home where real love waits and we are all doing that every day and that's the whole metaphor of God and our journey on earth and yes, paradox, it's a paradox seeming contradiction that makes sense on a higher plane of thinking we already did paradoxes in this class but look for paradoxes in your story because do we have paradoxes in real life? Yes, and so most of these epic movies put in front of us tension that need resolved, and often paradox resolves the tension, and they're helping us see that in story form. That's one of the reasons why we love these movies and these stories, is they help us with that. Uh, mythical stuff, I will say it over and over and over again, we are in the true myth, so these great stories point to what? The true great stories, often in mythical 
I would use the word supernatural ways. They help us understand the supernatural life that we live. And then biblical connections. Don't be afraid to go there. Those of you who know the Bible well will see a lot of these just pop off the screen or right out of the text. But Galadriel actually says, when they come to Lothlorien, do not let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> if, you, if you know that sentence, like Jesus says that exact sentence. <laughs> so Tolkien makes this overt biblical connection to Galadriel speaking the words of Christ to the fellowship after they lose Gandalf. Spoiler alert. Although you've had how many years? 18 years? Maybe we're good. Yeah, okay. So, um, questions. Do we, are we catching how some of this stuff works? Yes? Good? That, that little 10-minute toolbox will also help you with your final exam. So let's use those tools right now to look at this scene and see what tools we can pull out. All right? There'll be a bunch as we go. But like the ring, the sword, the riddles, all those different types of things come out in this scene. What's evil and how to detect it? What can that ring represent? Now, just quick time out. Like, again, my job, metaphor, connections. Many of you are going to have this in your stories where this character happens upon something that they have to navigate, something that can be destructive or good or maybe ambiguous and do both. This is an evil ring that if Bilbo does not destroy it will do what it will destroy him we see in the beginning of the fellowship that it is starting to take its toll on him he's getting possessive and angry and frustrated in the text actually 20 minutes later he has it on he's like i'm gonna stab Gollum and kill it you're like oh my gosh like chubby little bilbo stabbing things and putting its eyes out the ring is already 20 minutes in affecting his psyche right now Here's what I want to throw out there for you. When I see this scene and a couple of these other ones, metaphor moment, most of you at Whedon Academy are pretty bright, pretty self-assured, pretty just straight up just good kids, right? Like almost all of us in the room are just like, yeah, I'm a good kid. I'm doing my best. I'm kind. I'm nice. I do the best that I can. So when Satan wants to get you, he's going to like, Okay, ready? I got some crack cocaine here. Well, I'll just sniff it, and I'll ruin your life. But you want some? Like, is that is that gonna work? No. No, like, we're not idiots, right? You guys aren't idiots. So if Satan's gonna get you in college, just to be really blunt, if he's gonna get you guys to destroy your lives, 
He's going to have to be way more subtle. Most of you are going to stumble onto something. If it's going to be something that will destroy you. Like unhealthy sexuality, or drugs, or alcohol, or cheating, or lying, or gossiping, or whatever it is. Most of you are just like, okay, today's where I start lying. I'm going to be a liar. Let's go. You're like, what? No, you're going to stumble into it. And then you'll pick it up one day and realize, ooh, this is a powerful thing. I can do a lot of different things with it. Oh, wait, I can get away with this? Oh, now I can get away with this? And then I don't have to study for this? And then I can trick my friend here and, and, and that, and, right? Like, you're not going to like, ah, wake up. I just feel like gossiping. Let's go for it. You're like, right? Like, you're going to be at a party. Most of you are like, I've never had alcohol. I've never been allowed to. What's, I just, I'm just curious. Right? And actually, generally speaking, okay, you're curious. Like, alcohol? Okay. It's just careful. Like, does that make sense? Like, just, that, the enemy is sneaky. We're going to stumble into it. Even sneakier and harder is when Frodo inherits it, right? Like he gets it from his uncle. <laughs> like, ah, yeah. So again, metaphor concepts. I know some of you have movies where that thing directly happens. A character stumbles onto something that's destructive and they're just not aware of it. Look at uh, Peter Jackson in his storytelling. Pretty cool. The metaphor for that sword is just awesome. Go Tolkien. Now wait. The orc dies. The sword goes back to normal. Which is a storytelling way of saying that Gollum is actually not a what? He's not an orc, and he's not evil. He acts evil, but he's actually not evil, right? He's a hobbit. Oh, this is so scary. Yeah. Blesses and splashes, precious. That's a meaty mouthful. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to challenge you. Like, this is one where I'm reading this to my, I think they were six, my six-year-olds. And I'm having this really awful dad moment. Like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I'm reading about this cute little guy who lands in a dark cave. He's going to get eaten by another character in the story. And... Oh no, horrible, horrible. Uh, but we at least tried to redeem it for a moment. And actually, even deeper. Truth be told, as scary as that is, it was a great opportunity to do what with my kids? In the real story, is there someone who wants to destroy my children? Yeah, he's actually worse than Gollum. Satan hates my family, hates my kids. Should I hide that from my kids? Now, thank you, Tolkien, for giving me some really healthy context to be able to talk about an enemy that is real, that wants to destroy our family and, and hurt my children, right? 
So I used it for that, but I actually stopped it very specifically at that point and said, okay, guys, if Bilbo did not have a sword, he'd be what? Dead. Dead. Interesting. He'd be dead. He'd be off his quest. Over, right? Quest, over. Bilbo doesn't become the enemy. doesn't, like, go to hell. Like, no, no, no. He's just what? Done. We had just talked about it, I think, eight minutes ago. Sword as a symbol for what? God's word. I will say this, too. Now it will be official by the end of the year. 142 seniors will have heard this lesson. And I'll say it like this. It's hard not to let the, the tone come out. But, but really, you think you could go off to college without your Bible and not get devoured? Okay, go for it. See how it goes. Right? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even know how to use it. He at least just what? Has it? <laughs> he would be dead, devoured, without his sword. And Tolkien so beautifully sets that up. The word of God, when the enemy comes prowling up to you, especially at some dark moment, do you have it? Are you prepared? Do you have the word of God to navigate these really tricky scenarios? I hope so. I hope you'll at least have it. You'll see me later talk about Aragorn who knows how to use it. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice to learn how to use your sword, but at least what? Like, at least have one. And I watch it, though. I've been doing this for long enough. I watch my students hear this mini lesson, go off to college, and could care less about the Bible. Yeah, okay. See how it goes when you could be devoured and you don't have your sword. Yeah. So, if that's the case, then why did Tolkien put in the, or the director, the, the, I don't remember if it's in the book, but when yeah. Bilbo found the sword, why did Gandalf say it's merely a letter opener? Oh, no, Gandalf doesn't say... Well, Ga oh, yeah. Actually, I think Gandalf does. He calls it that because he's, he's kind of mocking the fact that he's... he's I mean, hobbits are three yeah. feet tall, right? Yeah. And so technically, it's not even a sword. It's a dagger. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's a yeah. little funky, cool dagger. And so he's kind of being like, yeah, it's a letter opener. I don't even know if it was Gandalf. One of them. It was, it was, it was Thorin. I think Thorin did. Or yeah. One of the dwarves mocked him for it. Does it work? There you go. I mean, it's interesting. One verse might be all you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Double-edged sword. Powerful. Yeah, that's a great connection. Yeah. And with Tolkien, sometimes the metaphors are going to be like, boom, perfect. And sometimes they're going to be used for other things. Or maybe they just don't fit. I don't know. But like here, is it there? Yeah, it's fantastic. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> so tiny. Uh, crack me up. All right, let's keep going. we got another 10 minutes. 10 more minutes and then I'll let you run off. I'm warning you, don't come any closer. Yeah, right? It's got an elfish blade, mm. but it's not an elf's. Not an elf's milk. What is it, precious? What is it? <laughs> what are you? It's Bilbo Baggins. Careful who you give Baggins's. your name to. What is a Baggins's, precious? I'm a... Hobbit from the Shire. Oh, we like goblins as bats and fishes, but we hasn't tried hobbies before. Uh, he's a soft, 
is it juicy? No. I'll use this if I have to. I don't want any trouble. Do you understand? Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Why? Is it lost? Yes. Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. Oh, we knows. We know safe paths for our races. Safe paths in the dark. Shut up. I didn't say anything. Yeah. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> yes, we, we was precious. We was. Look, I, I don't know what your game is, but I... Games? Love games, doesn't it, Precious? Does it have games? Does it, does it, does it like to play? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. What has roots as nobody sees? Is taller than trees. Up, up, up it goes. And yet never grows. The mountain. Yes, <laughs> Oh, let's have another one. Yes, do it again. Do it again. No, no more riddles. Finish him off. Finish him now. Go on. Go on. No, no, no. I, I want to play. Mm. I do. I want to play. I can see you are very good at this. So, why don't we? Just you and me. Just you and me. <laughs> just, just, just us. Just, just us. <laughs> so great. Yes. yes. And, and, and if I win, you show me the way out. Yes. 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 And if he loses, what then? If he loses, precious, then we eat it. If Baggins loses, we eat it whole. <laughs> what? And again, let me. You got five minutes. Don't wrap it up. I'll let you go here. But just let's even, even this conceptually speaking. We've got this dude in a cave with something that's turning into a shadow, and Bilbo needs to answer riddles in the dark to save himself from being eaten, so he can go on his journey back out to the light. Hey, allegory of the cave. Nice job, Tolkien. Because I don't know if you caught this, this is like the gospel message. There was a point where it says in scripture about Jesus, and from that point on, he only spoke in stories. He only spoke in parables. One of the translations actually uses the word riddles. <coughs> what does it take to answer a riddle? What kind of followers does Jesus want? I love this lesson. I can go on and on about it. But let's just even, just even for a minute. Let's say I lock my door. You're not allowed to leave my room or go to lunch unless you answer my riddle. Now in the story, you get eaten alive. And actually, I think the metaphor really fits there. When we think about riddles, getting eaten alive, I watch it every year. I have students who sit in my class and they cannot get over the riddle of why a good God will allow evil. They just can't do it. They're stuck in the dark, and their faith and their Christianity is getting devoured. Their trust in God is getting eaten by the enemy. Yet, do we have an answer to that riddle? Actually, is it a pretty satisfying one in some respects? 
Can we answer why a good God allows evil? Yes or no? Yeah, we can answer that riddle. First shall be last. Last shall be first. You've got to die to live. Right? Like, I mean, you, you give so that you can receive. These are all riddles. They're paradoxes. And are there answers? Satisfying ones. Oh, yeah. But if we can't answer the riddles of Scripture, I watch my friends and students get eaten alive in the dark. Fair enough? Let's just act it out. You can't go to lunch unless you answer my riddle. Now, if you know the answer exactly, what kind of followers does Jesus want? <laughs> Ones who are aware and in and have prior knowledge and they use it. Don't blurt it out. So I want to get a little tension here. But ready? Until I am missed, I am not known, yet how you miss me when I have flown. But don't blurt it out. Does anybody know it? I think maybe. Anybody? Okay, so ready? Real quick, time out. I'll, wa- I'll let us watch this. You'll get the answer, but ready? What does it take to answer a riddle? Uh, Jesus says over and over, and it's okay here. I'm just saying example, though. Over and over and over, Jesus says, he who has ears, what? Listen! You got to listen. If you're going to do a riddle, you got to what? You got to listen. If you aren't engaged in the process, if you're not focused, are you going to be able to answer a riddle? If you don't care, are you going to be able to answer a riddle? If you don't think creatively, can you answer a riddle? Does that see what's going on? What kind of followers does Jesus want? <laughs> he wants engaged, creative thinkers who are listening and focused and willing to take risks and answer. You guys want to give it a shot? What? Time. Ah, time. They saved your lives. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up. The answer is time. Here's the other part of a riddle. Until I am measured, I am not known. Time. Yet how you miss me when I have flown. Time, right? Does it fit? And actually, with riddles, the answers are usually pretty what? Yeah, Jesus says, even the kids can get it, right? Actually, who often gets the riddles faster? (laughs) The kid. But look at this next riddle. It's going to say, voiceless it cries, wingless flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters. Tolkien sets this up so richly. That is four paradoxes. Four paradoxes, and if you can handle those four paradoxes and get the answer right, you don't get eaten, and you can get out of the dark. Thank you, Tolkien. Let's give it up for Tolkien. And nice job. Thanks for saving us. Let's watch this last little bit, and then you can head off to lunch. Nice job today, you guys. Fair enough. First. Thirty white horses on a red hill. First they champ, then they stamp, then they stand still. It's a white horses, red hill, champing, stamping, still. <laughs> See, you gotta think. Wolf. Okay, so now listen, four paradoxes. He's got to answer the paradoxes to save his life. Hmm. 
So good. Alright, see you guys. You're free to go. You don't have to stay in my dark cavernous classroom. Well, it's nasty. It's nasty. Gotta think cleverly. Give up? Give us a chance, precious. Give us a chance. I'm I don't even remember who this Good. <laughs> See you guys. So good. Yeah. See you guys. Take care. <laughs> so, I was thinking, how am I gonna do saving Private Ryan? Oh. Because I have Beach of Normandy as the world. Yeah. Like the world we're born into. But I don't know where else to go from there. Well, but see, here's the thing. Give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Like tomorrow in class, take the time and just go for it. See how it goes. And if you're not really getting anywhere, <clears throat> okay, then you can shift back. But I bet you'll be surprised mm-hmm. at the different moments and scenes that you can pull some of this stuff from. Symbols, metaphors, right? But particularly like that checklist. When we look at that specific checklist of things that you can use, right? Significance of the location, actions, the characters, interaction with friends, foes, monsters, and save it priving Ryan, like the guns or the bombs or the mm-hmm. whatever, the tanks. Lessons learned during this segment of the quest. What's something that was learned during that? Or gifts received, wounds, losses, victories, defeats, like, right? Mm-hmm. And each of those little moments, even in just that opening scene, <laughs> are gonna, it's going to be loaded with metaphors. Just see how it goes. Okay. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah. Even the overarching metaphor in that one, where what we will do to save a son. Yeah. Right? Like a family member. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful overarching metaphor right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. See ya. Take care. So as I wrap up this podcast, there's more to this. This is kind of a short version, even though it's 40 minutes. Um, But one of the things that I like to do is talk about how in the text, uh, Tolkien has that one riddle about fish. And uh, the answer to the riddle jumps out of the water and lands on his foot, and it's fish. So we talk about how Christianity and the Christian symbol of fish and how that Christian symbol jumps out of the water at just the right time in the dark and lands on his foot and how it's not coincidence and how there's a God involved and we talk about Silmarillion and all the depths of it. And even just down to the riddle itself when it talks about kind of this like fish that's cold as death and no breath, no pneuma. It's got the armor on, the the plate mail, but it's not clanking because it's not in the battle. And just fantastic to really consider... um, 
what Tolkien does and how deep the metaphor, the symbols, and everything can go. And I like going back and forth Lydia between. And <laughs> Harry, please come to the front office. Lydia and Harry, please come to the front office. I like going back and forth between the book and the video. This year, because I'm gone tomorrow, and just for timing, I'm keeping it pretty tight. But um, that's always a fun one, even to add in at the end. Blessings.